0: Like Rakuten does a great job of having a weekly list called the hot list of sites and content creators for brands to consider. Commission Junction sends out an email. Um, ShareASale has a recruitment apparatus. So I think the whole industry would be better if content creators spend a little bit more time understanding how the networks work. And one more add to that, all of them have free courses. That's why I say headphone time. Make coffee or tea, whatever your libation of choice
1: is, Hello, hello, guys. Welcome to the party. Gosh, I wish I had like a great story to tell you about why my voice sounds so raspy today. Like we had such a killer New Year's Eve. I literally posted on my Instagram how I like did a puzzle that night. So that's not the case luckily i don't have covid thank god but i just feel like everyone's freaking sick this time of year so i am not excluded i like put off recording this intro because i was like oh it can't sound crazy i'm just gonna sound a little crazy but like i'm just gonna own it maybe there's like someone who's listening who's like dang she sounds sexy and i'm just gonna lean into it and hope that you all feel like that you all probably don't okay so this week we have incredible guest. This is a guest episode, an interview episode. You guys are going to love it because Blagitsa was on a panel of ours just a couple months ago, which like was so well attended and got really, really great feedback. And the panel was all on affiliate marketing now i know that affiliate marketing is certainly nothing new but i do feel like there's been this really exciting resurgence with affiliate marketing and i've sensed that creators have been more open to it whereas a few years ago like when i was managing talent i remember my influencers were like no way i am beyond in uh, affiliate marketing like i don't want to do it anymore like I don't want to be paid per sale. I want to be paid a flat fee. So we'll get into it in this episode about like, we don't think the sweet spot is either extreme. It's somewhere in the middle where you're getting compensated fairly for your time, for your audience, for the content you're creating. But now there's an additional incentive when you do make a sale for affiliate marketing. And there's so much data that's available. So there's just been a mindset shift. So I definitely wanted to invite Blagitza back on the show. Also, she's an Emmy award-winning digital marketing expert, so like, that's cool to have her on the show. She's also just very open, transparent, she's got 25 years of experience in the industry, really truly started at the very beginning, and has so much information to share with you guys. So, what a great way to kick off the year. I'm so excited for you to hear from Lagita. Enjoy, guys. This show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, better known as WIM, the best online community for the creator economy. You will meet fellow influencer marketers, you'll meet brands, you'll meet talent agencies to talk shop, get hired and even find a mentor. When you become a member, do not forget to check out all of our incredible resources. For example, we have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices at TikTok, at YouTube, award-winning agencies and women who are paving the way for us all. So if you want the chance to network with a few who in influencer marketing, check out what it takes to become a member, make more money, and have fun doing it. Visit iamwim.com slash join. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M dot com slash join today. And I so look forward to seeing you more around the community. So... First and foremost, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. I feel like again because you were in, on a panel with us, like just like a few months ago, I guess. But yeah. it's nice to see you. It's nice to have you this time on the podcast. How's your week going so far? It's good. We are winding
0: down the year, and it's always cliche when people say, "I can't believe it's the end of the year," but I truly can't. I really, I'm one of those folks who, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, during the the chat, but. I really believe in living in the day and really totally. you know, taking the marijuana of the day, whether it's good or bad. And I always use, actually this week, I like to work ahead, meaning, yes, I'm enjoying my holiday and family time and break, but I don't know about you, Jesse, but this week when it's kind of quiet, a lot of folks are on holiday, maybe going someplace warm. It's really, I feel like I'm in college again because it's when I double down. Like I research things I want to check out. I tinker with things, I noodle. I might get myself a planner every year from Shinola. They make watches, but they also make great paper goods. I'm here in Detroit and I map out the next six months. This is the week that I do it.
1: I love that, I get that. For me, it's like this week is quiet enough that I have the mental capacity to do some of the things, exactly what you're describing. Like things sort of slow down so that you can, you have the day-to-day that you're usually bogged down with. Ooh. You have the capacity, the space to be able to do yeah. all those like nice to haves. By the way, we're recording the 27th of December. So like very close to the end of the year. I know this episode's probably going to come out in January. So I have a feeling probably many people hopefully can relate to that. And if you can't like take Blagitsa's advice because like truly this is such Mm -hmm. a good time of year to just be able to just like enjoy the slow, like take advantage of the slowdown. Um, Yeah, totally. So, okay. So I want to back up a little bit, I think. So I mentioned briefly you were on our affiliate marketing panel and you were recommended to me. That's where we connected by someone else who's in the community who was like, okay, like I was looking for people who were just like rock stars in affiliate marketing and like really understand that world. I'm not that person. And I was sitting there learning so much genuinely in that panel discussion. So we had, I think it's a cool place to start. So some people might've tuned into that, but for anyone who didn't, Can you maybe start, you have so much experience in that world and in other worlds as well, which we'll get into in just a bit. But like, tell us a little bit about your background in affiliate marketing and also how affiliate marketing has like really evolved and changed into what it's become today. For sure. And it's a really great journey and path
0: and to your point, where affiliate marketing is today is uber exciting. I'm also ethnic and I talk with my hands a lot. So I'm like first generation Macedonians and my hands are always like this. So to those that are watching, don't be surprised. So I started in the affiliate marketing space almost by accident because no joke, lady, 25 years ago, when I started my digital career out of school, I started at Orbitz in 2001. And I was on the first digital marketing team. Actually, it was called e-commerce marketing back in the day. And that's when we had no playbooks. At the time, the airlines were the funders of Orbits In the beginning, the five airlines got their cash together, made Orbits, And it was trial by fire. We were doing everything from keyword, from SEM, SEO. I was serving ads on ESPM. I learned how to serve ads when it was double-click before Google bought them. And then as the journey went on about Things to do on the internet, affiliate marketing came up. It was like, okay, Blagitsa, figure it out and launch it. Okay. So, affiliate marketing, the essence of it from the early days, which still rings true today, but it's more complex, is simple to those who don't know what it is. Let's say you are a brand like Sephora or Macy's or Nordstrom and you have this online component. Okay. Early days of affiliate marketing, different types of websites, even pre blog would list your products, goods or services, often when there's a sale, when a consumer would visit that site, they would click, they go to Macy's, they buy something, consumer gets a deal or they get the product, the website where it came from would get a commission. That is still the essence and the ethos of affiliate marketing. Okay, so in the early days of affiliate marketing, and I'll say this to my grave, affiliate marketing was always considered a stepchild in digital marketing. It kind of still is, but it's getting better because of the the revenue models. Folks used to look at and say, oh, that's, that's interesting. That's great. But the ROI was always fantastic because the marketer, the brand, in theory, would only pay when a sale takes place. You pay a commission, which was still and is still today considerably less than like Paying for a billboard or paying for programmatic advertising or paying for a large sponsorship. But we'll talk about the way that affiliate marketing revenues changed. So that's still around. Okay, so there's still the, the essence today of influencers, bloggers, content creators are now coming into the affiliate marketing space. Why? What's changed? So our friends at Google and Meta have helped, and Apple have helped change the game in which e-marketing works. So there's this joke that we all have as consumers. I went to Zappos and those shoes keep following me around the internet. That's because of something called the one by one pixel or cookie tracking. And that type of activity is what was used most often by large brands and companies to advertise to the consumer. They may not know that it's Jesse, but they
1: knew that it was your IP address. So question real quick, isn't mm-hmm. some of that going away or hasn't like there been come more regulation on that? That's correct. That's that's
0: what's changing. So Got that's it. going away. So that was kind of the OG way of online marketing because it was so efficient. Girl, I cannot remember how much of my conversations in my digital career was, is the pixel on the site? I forgot the pixel. Don't forget to put the pixel because that pixel tracking helped keep track of the ads that we bought. On it was other everything. Websites. It was
1: everything, yeah.
0: So to your point it's going away now let's pause if you are what's called a publisher like hearst like espn like food network whomever it may be you used to rely on all those ads on your site that were being used with the tracking we just discussed that's going away and those brands those companies are no longer utilizing that as much which means you, the publisher, aren't making the money you used to. Oh, crap. Enter affiliate marketing. So affiliate marketing has been used by many big publishers we all know as consumers. One great example of that is, I love the New York Times and their offshoot, Wirecutter. So Wirecutter has for quite some time, their editors, their writers are like consumer product and service ninjas. They will review every coffee pot. They will review 15 backpacks, whatever it may be. And they utilized the eyeballs already on the New York Times for this other entity. Because as consumers, as readers, we trust the Times. So if they launch this other thing, like I'm an avid user of the the New York Times cooking app, love that thing. So why wouldn't I read Wirecutter? You'll notice that now many of those websites will have a little bit of like italicized font at the top. We may earn commissions from these links. That's affiliate marketing. So Wirecutter's done that for some time. But now you have other big publishers following suit. The Condies of the world, everyone from from Forbes to Fortune to Men's Health to Daily Beast, they're all doing it. And what's also changed because And now let's talk about the influencer side. Before larger brands really understood how to connect to the consumer, as quite frankly, creators and influencers always have. Brands used to take large budgets. Let's say Jane Doe Beauty Influencer, because I actually worked on a beauty brand. I worked on Fashion Killer Cosmetics. At that time, many of the brands didn't figure, didn't have things figured out. They they couldn't connect with their consumers like the creators would. They used to pay larger chunks of sponsorship money to the janes of the world to get to jane's audience on youtube insta whatever but the problem was those brands weren't getting the roi that they would hope to get with a 20 or thirty thousand dollar flat fee sponsorship so brands still do that but they've scaled back a bit which is causing which isn't a bad thing influencers and creators from a revenue model standpoint to embrace affiliate marketing to gain commissions on sales that they help drive for those brands. So, to sum up, you've got two sections. The larger content publishers lost revenue, they need to get that back. And then, influencers and content creators needed a way to also make revenue because the larger sponsorship deals were decreasing. And the commonality in both affiliate marketing.
1: So interesting. I mean, it almost sounds like a lifesaver for, in all of those scenarios, right? Like when you're talking about like, I don't know, just like the publishers with their affiliate models. Like I've seen all the ones that you've mentioned, every mm-hmm. single one of them, like they yeah. all have, they produce these like guides of sorts yes. or like for just recommended products and they yeah. all make commissions. I think of like Buzzfeed, I used yeah. to love those. And like, yeah, yeah Buzzfeed is yeah. such an affiliate, like such an affiliate play. And they would come out with like all these, like, I guess it depends on like, they all have different styles and different so like whatever mm-hmm. one is sort of your style or your like your cup of tea like that's the one you gravitate to so for me it was just like buzzfeed all day every day so okay that's interesting and i think like also i'd love for you to explain this is just me like nerding out for a second like really like, like i'm sure you're aware of like what is the reason that the pixel is going away is it like a privacy thing yes. is that the concern yes it is a privacy thing so i'm so
0: thankful that I've been around as long as I've been around to see the evolution of things happening. But I gotta say, as a consumer, it makes sense. There's a lot of drama or discussion about, I I still don't think that the powers that be in, in Congress really know how the internet works. Like sometimes they go so extreme with things. At the same time, if you look at like, I have friends who work and live in Europe, they've really taken privacy to another level that's for the consumer. So I get it. I get the privacy concerns. And that's really you know why, if you think back even before that, the situation that happened with Facebook and data and data brokers and the way that people would be targeted on Facebook, it kind of all rolled together. So I think it's a cleaner system. I think it's also, quite frankly, marketing, because Apple's always been on the forefront of privacy and their Safari browser and their Apple products. I think other folks like Google are following suit along with Meta. So I kind of, in that respect, I would argue that Apple led the way with that. And the rest of the larger entities are listening to what the consumer has been saying about privacy, but here's the rub then going back to the publishers. Consumers need to also be aware because look, I just did this the other day. I had been looking for leggings and looking for a different brand of legging and I went to Google search and I typed in the parameter of legging I was looking for. And the top, because look, I'm a consumer, but like you, I nerd out on some things. The top 10 results were news-esque articles and listicles, but they all had that affiliate commission counterpart. Why am I saying this to you? Because here's a little bit of the Wizard of Oz component, the man behind the machine. In many cases, Jesse, a lot of those write-ups and listicles aren't always organic, They're not always neutral because the larger publishers now, the reason why affiliate marketing is getting so interesting, they're no longer just relying on a commission. Affiliate marketing is now getting the placement budgets that traditional digital marketing would get. So large publisher B might say, hey, we would love to cover that new technology accessory your company launched or your client launched. We'd be happy to include it in an article for $10,000. So they're getting both a commission and they're getting that revenue that they lost from the traditional ads. And because they're getting amazing SEO juice, because they always existed as great SEO resources like being news sources, they're part of what the consumer sees right away. So the brand kind of needs to look at their budgets. And this is what I would say to brands. You can't just think affiliate marketing is commission only and not have any type of budget for a publisher. Or an influencer, because if an influencer, whether they're smaller or bigger, I would argue they're also putting skin in the game in terms of creating content or checking out your product or service. And they're helping with what's called top of funnel awareness. Your earlier question, what's changed? Affiliate marketing was always bottom of the funnel. Click, convert, click, convert. Now it's the whole thing it's awareness it's consideration and it's also conversion
1: it's really interesting that you say that i think a lot of people would agree with you but also just specifically because they see influencers as publishers they're all micro and sometimes macro publishers so it makes a lot of sense and simply like having, whether it's an influencer or a publication, essentially endorse a product or service, there is value to that, right? Because if they're on a recommended product or service from Forbes, so like the behind the scenes of Forbes, like mm-hmm. it looks very different, but many people don't. like. If you right. know the behind the scenes, it's very play pay to play. It's pretty much like all pay to play, like uh-huh. all of it. But there's this c- level of credibility that is yes. provided, and there's that additional value. So that's really, really interesting to think of it like that. And so, yeah, what a revol, like what an evolution there's been. And so, with the but- lack of the pixel, mm-hmm. I don't know. I like to think of it as like myself as a as a consumer more often than a marketer because i think that perspective is so invaluable yeah. so like because i love Having the internet work for me, you know oh, really? what I mean? Like, yes. like I sure I understand, and I also value having privacy protections and things like that. I don't think that it should be like this wild west of an internet. I do think that's important, but I also do like for the internet. If I put in a search, like sure, serve me all the things that you think I'm going to want. Like, make yeah. my life easy. I'm all for that. So. I guess it's a fine balance, but to your point, I could not agree with you more than like the governments in many countries, like which are supposedly theoretically supposed to be writing up these laws to protect the citizens, just don't understand it enough to be able to make those determinations. So yeah, it's getting it's getting better.
0: I know that folks on the Hill have interns and assistants and analysts to help them. I think they have more than they used to. But the other addition to all this that cracks me up about the pay to play, so I spent some time working at Edelman, which was phenomenal from a PR perspective and helping with digital communications. And there's certain things you do that I did back then in habits that can't go away. Like I watch recordings or live streams of the Today Show, Good Morning America, and The View because I like to understand what America's listening to and what the news of the day, given we're recording this during the holidays. And not, if you watch any of the morning shows, they have like the Daily Deal. Here's the GMA, it's all QR code and all of that is affiliate marketing, IRL. So when you're watching the Today Show or watching Good Morning America and they pick the deals and steals, and by the way, because Good Morning America and The View are ABC shows, you'll see some products on Good Morning America and then later you'll see them on The View. There's a QR code on your screen, click it, you get a link, and that's all affiliate marketing and commissions. The other in-person, well, IRL example was the Wall Street Journal. So, the journal recently got into the game of affiliate marketing. I shouldn't say game, but strategy with their um, publication or their brand called Buy Side. What was really wicked, I think it was last year, they had the Wall Street Journal, the paper like this, and they had all the products listed with QR codes in the paper for you to take your phone in real life, QR code it, go and buy. When that happened, I was like, oh. you know, when you're by yourself and there's no one around you that knows <laughs> what you do, and you're like, this is so cool but no i can't explain it to anybody <laughs> it was, it was with my
1: but friends. it is, is cuz it makes the user experience so yeah. good it makes it like this yep. instantaneous like you're not going to lose that sale cuz i think that could be a concern sometimes you're like well like from an in, i've heard influencers say i want to do affiliate marketing but like sometimes when i do it it's not necessarily going to capture all the sales right because sometimes right. that just might be the first introduction to a brand and and they don't use your link or your QR code or whatever it is, and I don't get credit for it. What would you say to those people? Because I do think that is is a concern. Are there ways to sort of like hack that, combat that? What would you say to to that issue?
0: A hundred percent. So if you are a content creator, an influencer, and you're about to do a deal with someone in any way, shape, or form, I would ask them if they have the capacity with their team, brand, agency, whomever it is, to truly look at the path of the consumer. So you can also get credit for the initial introduction. So example, this hydro flask, it isn't a Stanley, I do like my hydro, this hydro flask, if I'm selling this on Insta, and I got both a uh, code and a link in my link tree, you could ask for both. Sometimes a link is easier to follow in terms of the path. At the same time, if a brand and their agency work together to understand the analytics of the brand site they should be able to track the code and also the traffic they should be able to say that they are able to see what traffic came from your site whether it's that code or that click and if a sale does take place they should negotiate different levels of commissions whether you were the direct introducer like someone clicked on my link for Hydrofast boom they bought my commission's higher or if i was someone who introded it I still get some skin in the game because I introduced it. Now that could be in the form of upfront flat fee. And that's why I push back on brands with it's not black and white. So either there should be some budget in place for a creator because the creator may not get that commission even for 30, 60, 90 days. The brand should increase the look back period to more than 30 days. So for folks that don't know affiliate marketing, in most cases, it's set up where it's like 30 day tracking. But in the case of a creator who's introducing someone and then somebody may not show up on their TikTok until like two months later, because the algorithm recommends that that TikTok post. If they see something they like and the link is there, if it's 60 days, it'd be nice if that was still active for the credit. But There's like different levels of ways to compensate creators and what I feel missing in the space on all sides from the creator influencer to the brand to agencies is one word patience. (laughs) Yes. Patience, patience to strategize. Like if the creator comes back and says, and this happens a lot, to be honest, I don't do anything that's only commissions. I don't think folks should stop the conversation there should be a why because the creator has to understand that there's risk upfront from the brand when it comes to working with them for the first time. And then the creator has to, the creator has to understand that piece, but the brand has to understand that if they want X many posts from the creator to provide some type of monetary, something upfront for the creator to be incentivized, whether it's double commission, something, whatever that brand can afford, it is truly creating individual partnerships creator by creator. And I think there is just, such a speed to just have sales and sorry to the brands out there but in many times it's because the brands say we're gonna do affiliate marketing and everyone's gonna buy something it's gonna be phenomenal and the roi will be off the charts it takes three to six months to truly set up an affiliate program with relationships and trust and and it's like wooing you're individually wooing everybody from Forbes, what's the mm, um, pure wow to sweater TikTok expert? It's one-on-one wooing. It's like dating, but people don't have the patience it seems anymore. So I think that large brands, if anyone under brands watching this, you have to have some patience and internally explain to your counterparts at the brand, whether it's executives or procurement, what this process is and how long it may take. It's still going to rock. Your ROI is gonna, you know, be better than most digital channels, but it may not happen right away.
1: And that's very similar to influencer marketing generally, like strategies. I feel like a lot of people who maybe don't understand that world will just jump into it and be like oh this is like the hottest thing like i'll just jump into it i'll invest and immediately (laughs) i'll see my result the results that i want to see and so i appreciate you saying that because like for anyone who's listening and hasn't done it yet like don't get discouraged like don't give up if just because you're not seeing traction right away but like please is saying like three six months sometimes it could take time but like that is normal you're supposed to like that is expected that's not abnormal that's just what it takes so i love a good hack i know our listeners love like good hacks so i asked you to like what are some hacks of affiliate marketing talking a little bit about influencer. So like what are some hacks for what are some additional hacks for whether it's affiliate marketing, influencer marketing, just things mm-hmm. that you've learned over your career that you think our listeners should keep in mind. It's not unfortunate of a hack, but one thing
0: that discourages folks about affiliate marketing when they get in it, it's kind of like Burger King. Not saying you should eat meat, but in affiliate marketing there's different networks
1: and they all work differently. At and least. like can we name some even because oh, yeah. there's so many to yeah. know about yeah i mean cool. what are some of the ones that you are in most often that people you think people should know of the the most commission junction Rakuten,
0: which used to be called link share share a sale partnerize pepper jam uh reversion i think AvantLink, did i say link, uh, impact those are all networks and what when you might hear like what does that mean in affiliate marketing and whatever affiliate marketing activity takes place, there is a network that connects the affiliate program with all the affiliates. So this is the source of truth. All the reporting in terms of the sales and clicks with the affiliate channel rest within the network. Each network has its own magic buttons. Like they have their own ways they work with content creators. Like Impact, for example, has a really sharp creator, like even a recruitment situation but a lot of other networks have partnered with influencer networks to make it easier for brands to find influencers. From a hack perspective, it really will behoove any content creator to look at the brands they work with or the brands they want to work with and reach out to them with the why. Now, you all might be thinking, that's not a quick hack. Well, let me explain why. I've seen a lot of emails from influencers that'll say, I'd like to work with you. I'm awesome. I have X many followers. But to take a little extra time to look at the brand, see where the fits are, and do more of a more like two to three sentences, more of a pitch will go such a long way. Similarly, when brands or agencies are pitching content creators, they should be doing the same thing. From a hack perspective, my joke, not joke, but my tip about anything in life is what I call my headphone time. If you're a content creator influencer looking to make additional revenue and really get an affiliate marketing game, girl, I cannot tell you how many videos I've seen on TikTok about affiliate marketing. You could do this in your sleep. Just sign up for my blah, blah, blah. No, it takes sweat equity, pick a network as an affiliate as a, and really understand how it works reach out to that network because part of the hack now when brands on the networks do well the networks make money so the Sephoras the Altas the Nordstroms when they have sales for their affiliate channel they're paying commissions to the affiliates they're also paying a fee to the network so it behooves the network for the sales to go up because they make more cash so the networks are liaisons to the content creators as well so it would behoove the content creator to approach these networks and find out who's on the recruitment teams because in most cases they're set up by vertical so rakuten commission junction may have separate verticals for different types of like fashion beauty health and fitness and they'll help you and pitch you into programs because when i'd be managing programs i would get emails from networks and they pitch people Like Rakuten does a great job of having a weekly list called the hot list of sites and content creators for brands to consider. Commission Junction sends out an email. Um, ShareASale has a recruitment apparatus. So I think the whole industry would be better if content creators spend a little bit more time understanding how the networks work. And one more add to that, all of them have free courses. So that's why I say headphone time. Make coffee or tea, whatever your libation of choice is. Maybe don't binge watch the latest Netflix episode or show for a few nights and figure it out and then get your plan of attack of, you know, certain networks are known to have certain types of brands in them. And if, you know, you have an impact might be the type of network where you have brands you want to work with, study it, reach out and let them know that you want to be the person they recommend to all these brands and here's why. I've seen media kits from influencers and content creators, and I never, the number of followers is important, but not as much anymore. It's important, but brands and affiliate programs are looking for engagement rate. If you're posting about your awesome jeans that fit so amazing and they move with you in different sizes, what is happening on your comments? Are people engaging with you and are you talking back and having that conversation? You'd be surprised as to how many content creators just still don't talk to their audience. And I've seen seen
1: it. I actually saw it recently on a piece of content that I noticed all this wonderful, all this wonderful commentary back questions. And I'm thinking from a brand's perspective, I'm like, "Oh, this is great," and I see no replies. Right,
0: right. Like
1: even if like
0: an intern or somebody replying would be helpful. But I wanted to ask you. So you mentioned something earlier about like patience and whatnot. What are you hearing from your network of influencers in terms of patients or in terms of like, do they feel any pressure from brands to like, you know, jump, sell? Do you,
1: like, is that still happening? What are you seeing in the space? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. I feel like there is such a, like a friction still very much so between the creators and the brands, because I feel like in the past, like two to three years, it's been a much stronger shift away from any sort of awareness play and there's been this insane amount of pressure to perform and to produce and to sell which is natural and it makes sense but I think that it's too extreme. It's too black and white and the truth or like the the sweet spot is usually in the middle. And in this case, I think that it is. It takes time to be able to warm up an audience, to be able to have an affinity and trust the product, not the person, but the product. You know, it's still very challenging from a creator's perspective when they're like, I want to be able to build up that rapport. I want to be able to Ta- like i but i need time to do it yeah. and too often a brand will say well it's one post one this one that and and that's your one opportunity to do it and it's just it's almost like setting people up for failure but the pressure is very much so felt being felt i think by the creators and i just think like from any other perspective like i'm not a creator so like in my job in your job in our everyday lives when we're working Like, sure, some people thrive under really high pressure situations, but some people don't. Like, some people just need different environment to work under. Some people need to be encouraged or, you know, like given more resources or given more inspiration, whatever it is. But everybody works differently. And I think that's the challenge because most people are trying to look at influencer marketing affiliate marketing, especially I can imagine at scale and to see what's the scalability. And I have such, I've said on this podcast many times and I'll say it again, like I have such a issue with that because I don't think that any sort of relationship, like arrangements can be really truly scaled. So we're like approaching it in this way that we're really truly like setting ourselves up for failure. If the idea if the hope is that we're going to scale this thing, like, it's not. I personally don't think it's scalable. What are your thoughts on scaling affiliate marketing? Scaling influencer marketing? Like, do you think there's a path for that, or or what are your what are your thoughts? That's one of my beefs. So I agree with you.
0: And the this, the scaling issue is coming through because digital marketers, especially the C suite. The C-suite, many of which have not been practitioners, they want the scale replaced with the scale that went away in the form of the traditional old digital marketing model because they could take their shoe. Just making this up. Steve Madden launches a shoe. Steve Madden used to be able to forget Steve Madden orbits. When I was at orbits, we used to take big Vegas sale coming up or New Hotel launching. We used to go to a boatload of websites with a lot of money. And say, we are going to flood the interwebs with our our banners. Pop-ups, display, 468 by 60s all over the place. Scale. Now that's gone. So you have these brands who are launching amazing products and services, but like, oh, we need people to know. Oh, affiliate marketing has the best ROI in most cases. Go. But irony is that is kind of what I call like a digital hand-to-hand, like combat in a good way of like every single website, every single person is a relationship. Now that's where relationships and experience in the affiliate space comes in, where somebody has that trust, where they can call 10 publishers, 10 creators be like, "Hey, I've got this brand. I have the service. They're amazing. It's a good fit for you. Will you launch quickly? That is when you get scale, but I'll say scale-ish. So there's still so much education, Jesse, that it doesn't exist on the brand side that like many of us are still trying to convey. And why? And this is where it, the content creator, affiliate marketer, it's hard, but you have to have empathy because most cases the person managing the affiliate program at the brand has to answer to other people who don't know what it is. And in other and then other cases, because I've been there because I was on the brand side, that person is basically working to fill one cell on an Excel spreadsheet about their division. Because most people at the brand, when it comes to digital marketing, will look at how is SEM doing? How is paid social doing? How is programmatic doing? How is affiliate doing? And you're working your tail off for this cell, for the C-suite person to look at it and compare but they have no idea what happens in here. But that C-suite person kind of understands the rest, but you're just supposed to make magic happen. And that frustration from the person managing the program is what might come back to their agency or come back to the publisher. That's gotta stop. I think any C-suite, any CMO, and I I do think CMOs are changing because they have more analytics and the more digital marketing background. But every CMO really needs to almost take a crash course in every single element of their marketing channels to really understand how it works. Once that happens, I think we'll get to a better place, but we're not there yet. But on the flip side, if you are someone coming out of school and have any interest in digital marketing in any sense, affiliate marketing is so hungry and needs folks who are junior willing to learn want to learn even just practitioners all the way up because of what i mentioned before the networks are all different we'd even talk about like fraud understanding how to reverse transactions product feeds there's managing a program is a whole different ball of wax it's exciting and from a future perspective all the publishers if you look on linkedin or you know jobs in general there's we call this in content and commerce, commerce director, commerce manager. That's essentially the yin and the yang. There's the editor at the in style. And then there's the commerce person in style and their church and state because in people, people might wonder, how does this happen? Well, every publisher wants to write about what they want to write about and have that editorial ability. But in many cases, if this article does really well about my black sweater, Chances are they might stick an affiliate link on that article because the traffic's so great. It's fascinating to me. That's why I kind of came back into the space to pinch hit different programs. But from a creator standpoint, I I think there is no problem for a creator to go back to a brand or an agency and ask them about analytics and tracking to truly make sure that their work is being tracked all the way through to whether it's higher commissions up front, or a flat fee or
1: increasing the return days, the
0: look back period.
1: Yeah, those are really, really good tips because I think, I don't know if you're alluding to this or I'll just share what I've seen is like, there's a mistrust there on the uh, influencers side. I've heard this from many, many creators. And I don't know if it's a product of, you know, there's so many commission companies out there, like all the ones you named, and then there's you know the LTKS, the Collective yes. Voices. Like, there's so many more even, but they're they all operate a little bit differently. They have different standards. They have different technology. I mean, at their core, they're like technology based companies, but you know, they all operate a little bit differently. And so, I think that's why so wise what you were saying, which is like sort of find which one sort of attracts brands that are you're attracted to and then maybe like really go in hard with maybe that one or maybe two or three max, at least to start because yes. you'll build those relationships and you'll be able to grow those partnerships because of it. But I think, yeah, to your point, it's there are the, asking those questions is really important. Making sure it's in your agreement. Those few points specifically that you mentioned are, very clear, crystal clear in your agreement and your understanding of the agreement. I would love to also ask what we're, just, we're in this very particular time of year. We're like right at the cusp of 2023 to 2024. Again, I know this episode will come out in January, but I'm curious from your perspective because you have such a, I don't know, I think it's so cool where you sit and you've had so much experience on different sides what's been most surprising to you when you reflect back on 2023 and then what are you most excited about for come 2024 influencer affiliate related yeah, i would i'll even open it up i mean i would say yes but like i don't know if there's something else that you want to share like that's cool too either one taking whatever yeah. job you want
0: i'll combine a couple of trends i'll combine an, affi- an influencer trend with like real life so i'm a mom I have two kids. I have a 14-year-old daughter and 10-year-old boy. And what's blowing my mind is the influencer side of things. And there's just an article I read this week about it. The influencer side of things when it comes to beauty and like 14-year-olds, my daughter, like she's introducing things to me that I didn't even touch until I was 21. Also, my daughter has a smartphone, but she has no social media accounts. She uses Pinterest but she sees enough with YouTube shorts and whatnot because she draws and designs and she'll get the videos that pop up. That fascinates me in terms of the beauty brands and how they're adjusting their marketing and picking creators to really hone in on a certain demographic. To me, that's fascinating. What's also the trend of 2023, which has always been a trend. I think it's more reality check for brands in general. Look, folks were uneasy about the economy the whole year the whole year people still spent we just saw from q4 that online spending was up but here's the other it's not new but we tell brands this all the time consumers still like a good deal so even if it's a luxury brand whatever it may be consumers either want a great deal so coupons aren't going away offers and discounts aren't going away and if it's not a good deal They want to understand the story of the brand. So an example of a brand that I love, I've been following them since they launched from a practitioner standpoint, the story, the how is Quince. Quince makes really great clothing and home pieces, and they pride themselves in going to almost direct to the consumer, having great materials, and they don't often have sales. They really don't. But they're really good at building that story and helping somebody understand why their products fit into their lives, their lives. And it's consistent. So to me, it's again the patience of storytelling that is so important, introducing brands to audiences that are younger, but then also the the reality that deals and discounts and coupons aren't going to go away. And brands, and this has happened multiple times to me who come say to me, we aren't a discount brand. We don't want to be associated. Like, okay, that's fair. But what have you done and how long have you been in the marketplace for folks to think that? What do I mean by that? What you're gonna see, so 2024, you're going to see more brands hopping into affiliate marketing. You are going to see what's called challenger brands come into the space. Challenger brands are those brands that you're seeing on Facebook and Insta all the time. They're direct to consumer. You won't find them in the stores right away. They might get distribution later. They're killing it with paid social ads and they're killing it with social, like overall TikTok and Insta. Then they come into affiliate marketing. And because most of them also have investors and VCs, they're expecting quick results. So the irony is it's a challenger brand that might go up against the big dog and they're doing well. But the similarity they they have with the big dog brand is they happen to affiliate marketing and think there'll be instant success. Because, well, we tapped paid social, we paid we tapped keywords, let's get into affiliate marketing. And then I'm kind of like the buzzkill, like, mm, that's cool. But you're still an unknown to these six publishers. You still aren't known to them or their audience or them making the time to create content for you. You still have to sell, a re- like you or I have to help sell in To these folks. So, 2024 is interesting to me to see how many more publishers and brands come to the table to launch affiliate programs. And I'm excited that I think 2023 was the year of creators sitting back and wondering should I be in affiliate marketing? Does it work? Do they get me? And I think 2024 is going to be a bit of a hockey stick growth with creators learning about the channel and getting smarter about it because they have the audience. As far as I'm concerned, I think, I think the cards are in favor of the content creator and the bigger publishers. The brands will come along, their budgets will come along, but the quicker that influencers and content creators can learn about the space and how to maximize it for themselves, the better. The brands have the cash, they just have to redistribute it how it goes over to another channel.
1: Well, I think like the reality is what you were talking about a bit before was there's been a dip in brand partnership compensation, Mm -hmm. just like budgets. So I think that like influencers are just going to have a couple different options. They can sit and wait for those to pick up again. And maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it will slightly and not quite be what it used to be, or they're going to get more resourceful and smarter, like you said, and maybe this will be the push to like explore things. That they were maybe skeptical about before, but then they get there and they're like, oh, wait a Mm -hmm. second. This is amazing. So maybe that'll just be the push for a certain amount of them that will be pleasantly surprised with what they find. I assume it'll be, I assume there'll be a big crop of people who will experience that. And like, we're, we're in just like a really cool set up. I just feel like there's more resources for creators, more people sharing information. Mm -hmm. So I also assume that like with that exposure, they will also have access to all this education, ways to optimize it. Like like you said, you can go on freaking TikTok and find affiliate marketing content for days. Mm -hmm. Some of it's, BS, but like yeah. some of it is very valid and you'll be able to hopefully discern which one is is valid, which one, you know, is actually helpful. And like you can make a killing with it. So, but I, you know, not all partners are created equal. Not all, not everybody is created equal. So I think yeah. it's a matter of like skepticism is healthy and yeah. do your research, like approach it with like a healthy level of skepticism and you'll be good to go. I think that's a, a really good thing to be excited about for 2024, for sure. You also touched on earlier that your mom of you know, as somebody, I have a stepdaughter, so many people who are listening are also working parents. And I Mm -hmm. think that that is such a we don't talk about it enough. Like we don't talk about it enough. Like I'm recording this right now. My stepdaughter's home with my fiance downstairs doing a science project because her science project is due like the day she comes back from school. Thanks school. Um, But like, (gasps) I don't think that enough people, women in particular, are really being honest about what that means for a lot of us who our identities are almost equally wrapped up sometimes in being an like in the matrix of our family, Ooh. but also loving what we do in our careers. And like how to balance it. I don't think that they are perfectly can ever be perfectly balanced. Right. But that's just my opinion. I'm curious about your opinion. How do you make space for enjoying motherhood, but also enjoying the crap out of your work? How do you How do you manage the
0: two? That's a great question, and I'll be completely honest. So as I mentioned, my kids are 14 and 10, and I'm not going to lie. When they were younger, it was tough. It was tough. My kids are three years apart. And when I was starting out, I really contemplated, am I doing the right thing? I, I missed out on some steps. And so the way that my husband and I did it, I married. My husband and I, when the kids were small, We were living in Chicago and we looked at when I was partners with my first, okay, what do we want to do? And we decided that one of our incomes was going to go to, you know, care. So Michael decided to stay home. So Michael stayed home with our daughter and he's a sommelier and he was with our daughter. Then he started consulting, then he was doing events and then His consulting took off, but he was still able to watch our daughter at the same time. It was nuts. And then our, our second came along. So I went through a lot of mom guilt, and I sometimes still do. But now that my kids are older and they've seen the path, we talk about it all the time. They know that if I'm frustrated or if I'm stressed, I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good contributor to the household, and that I love what I do. Like my daughter especially knows I love what I do. She knows that I've had my own companies, run my own things. She knows the whole story. And if there's times that I can't be at a certain place at a certain time, I'm honest with her. But also, Jesse, we have laptops and mobility, and we have a different work life environment that didn't exist when my kids were babies and toddlers. I think that is phenomenal. And I think that is a gift. I don't like the pandemic. I think it was awful. But that change of work, I think, has opened the door to so many things. However, I'm in my 40s now, and I come across a lot of women, a lot of moms that want to do a change in their careers. And many of them are being forced to, given changes of work and so on. And they're tired, understandably so. Because I've always been a tinkerer and I've always been like my office upstairs is like NASA. I've got monitors. I've always been that tech gadget person, like figure stuff out. I'm on like, Jesse, I made my husband's holiday gift with AI. Like Mm -hmm. I made it using AI. That's me. I love it. I, I tell my girlfriends and I'll tell moms today, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 40s, we are living longer now compared to, God willing, future older generations. There is time to learn something different. And it's okay to pause and just figure out what makes you happy. And it's okay to start learning something new. But you have to make some choices. I mentioned binging Netflix shows, which I love to do. But the excitement I have for the internet and technology today is what it is, because so much of it didn't exist back in 2001 the stuff you can learn for free if you just put in the time, things you can build, things you can build upon. It isn't going to happen overnight. It's not. But the possibilities are there. So as a mom, my husband and I did have our moments when the kids were small, just figuring out roles, dynamics, schedule. It's not roses. And I truly do not think that women can have everything. Women can have Things and almost everything, but not at the same
1: time. Totally.
0: That is not told to us enough as women. It's just now in my mid 40s where I'm like, okay, this summer I went away for five days. I said to my I love our world and tinkering, but I'm in my passion is writing. My passion is storytelling, just writing stories. And so I said to my family, I need to take a little break. I was starting to get stressed out. I spent five days in Maine. I flew to Maine. And I sat for five days, wrote, explored, and just had a moment. And I came back completely refreshed. I know many people can't do that. I understand. Even if it's a day. Having children is amazing. Being a mom is amazing. But this is a strong belief that I have. and I mentioned this before publicly. There are so few women left who I've come up with in the digital technology space, who are founders? Like I know so many women when I was back in Chicago who were part of the rise of the interwebs and the internet and all the startups who all now have families, are raising kids. We talk all the time, but they're not in the industry anymore, or their voices aren't as strong as our male counterparts who continue to stay in any you know type of digital thing. There are voices there, there are many female voices, but not enough, and it's just because. Of the reality of being a mom taking care of kids not having that support system whatever it may be but also elephant in the room to me society not really still being amenable for the working mom and really understanding what working moms go through now some companies have really accelerated that with benefits and abilities and you know mat leave which is great and paternity leave cool but it's not consistent So you work and work and work and work and go to college, have this experience, find hope maybe the partner of your life or not. You might decide to have children. And then it's like, I just feel like we're, you know, we're producing, producing, working, working, working. And then you kind of have to figure it out. And it's disheartening to me. That's changing. I do think it's changing, but I think it's changing slower than what we need. It's not slower than I want. It's slower than what my daughter needs. My daughter is 14. Jessie, my daughter has already gone globally to understand what it's like to have kids in different countries. Like, no joke. Wow. What's it like in France? What's it like in... What's the maternity leave like? Because she's so curious when... Back to your question about being a mom, I've been open with her about, well, when your brother was a baby, I was working because I worked for myself and I had him on my chest and I work at my computer. Or when I had you, I had to go back to work pretty early. Well, she's Why? And then she started going down the rabbit hole of research on her own. And then she'd come back to me with, oh my goodness, I did not know blah, 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 blah. I don't wanna you know list out countries, rules and regs, of course, but you all can figure it out. It's gotten better. And I think that things online and how many successful stories have you heard of women, whether it's a side hustle that turned into something else or a passion that turned into something else. One book that I read that really helped me is marie forleo's book oh gosh something something it's about so i'll send it to you but it's about getting started i can't think of the title it's Hold blue on, i'm gonna look it up, now, uh, look it up. yeah look at it got a yellow dress and it's a blue background marie yeah. Forleo's book as jesse looks it up it was really about how to start and figure oh
1: everything out. is figure outable.
0: that one that okay. one
1: everything that is, figure-out-able. is one of my
0: favorite books it just i read it at a time where i needed some motivation to figure out what I like, different things I wanted to do and how, and setting time in your day for yourself. I don't know what your daily habits are of some Jesse time, but my kids joke and know that like on Sundays for the first few hours, don't talk to me. I am reading the New York Times. I have a coffee and I need my paper. Well, now I actually change it to my iPad, just digital subscription. But they just know I am reading. I am doing a crossword puzzle and i just need that time
1: and like the i like every so much of what you just said i appreciate the hell out of but like whether it's a trip to maine or 30 minutes of just reading what yes. you enjoy to read the feeling of recharge after those moments for whatever it is for yourself because i do think it's important to have the self-awareness to figure out what it is that does recharge you. And I also think that that changes every five to 10 years or so. That's that's a whole other thing, but like being able to figure out what it is and to be able to like respect yourself and to have your family sort of like respect that's important to you. It's a really, valuable lesson, I think, also to just to teach your kids. Oh, I think that there, there are so many different philosophies on parenting, of course, and we struggle with that in our household a little bit where it's like, you know, we had candidly, pretty shitty childhood. So we're trying to make up for the wrongs of our parents by raising a child differently. But I also wonder if we're, you don't wanna overcompensate for that. You don't, I also think it's so important to just teach those lessons and like to be the sacrificial lamb is teaching your kids nothing. Like if you are just, oh, I'm, I'm never going to take time for myself because I want to be all for my kids. I'm oh my God, I would never take a trip for myself. Like what would oh my kids, there's valuable time that I could be there for them, doing all this stuff for them. They need me. But like, if you need something for yourself, that is such a lesson to take because I don't know. Hopefully people who are listening have experienced that, which is when you do find the thing that really like fills you up, that really makes you happy, that really recharges you or relaxes you or whatever it is. Like, after doing that thing, you can literally feel like a different person. (laughs) I mean, you just, you feel like, you know, no, some medication can help with that, (laughs) but the amount of endorphins and just like your blood pressure, like all the things that it can physically affect you, or it's a beautiful thing. So I think that like, there are also lessons in that too. I like the word selfish in mm-hmm. so many people's vocabulary gets such a bad rap. And I've always sort of thought about it differently. I think that giving yourself the space to do things for yourself, like That can be a positive, that can be such a positive thing. I think that there's too much emphasis on being selfless and not enough emphasis on the moments where being selfish is actually a really positive thing.
0: One thing to note too about different kids' ages to give if someone's watching this who has a newborn child or three, four years old and you're a working mom, I gotta tell you, there might be times where you miss, like people will say, I'll go back to work when the kid's a certain age. But what's interesting is you might miss a step or miss a word or what have you, but what I'm learning having a fourteen and ten year old, because I've been I've chosen to be around more and work differently with different projects because of the ages they're in. They've actually needed more of my time, as of late, like especially middle school, pre middle school, and I've changed the way I work and where and compartmentalize my time and my work to make sure that I've got time for those deep discussions. That didn't happen when they were seven. They're older now and they get it. So, and then if things change again, it's like I've taken that little pause from a traditional work standpoint to build that trust in the relationship, especially with my oldest, a daughter, with as there's a lot of influence and in things that young women are challenged with, to build that foundation with her of trust and self-awareness and self-care. Sunday skincare routine is better than mine, but (laughs) I built that with her. So if things do change, like she's got that foundation, she knows, you know, she can talk to me. So looking back at the kids when they were younger, I'm really glad that I did something that I enjoyed and I worked during those times because they're okay. They, They were okay. And we've shifted into another piece. Last comment, another mom gave me, which I love Britain. If you're listening She once said to me, the best advice as a mom was, people say chapters. Britain told me there's different seasons. This is the season of X. Whatever situation you're in, you're in the season of X. You are in the season of maybe traveling for work twice a month. That's your season. That might change. You're in the season of a big project and you're staying at work for two weeks until 10. That really helped me. Pause with all the different sections of life that I happen to be in. This is the season for this. And I tell the kids when they're old enough to understand this is the season where mom has to go to a couple of tech conferences this year, for example. And it was just more like, we're having fish for dinner. This is the season of blah, blah, blah. (laughs) If you position it that way, I think it really helps and helps the family dynamic be on the same page because you got to be on the same page, especially with your partner. That's tough.
1: Totally a thousand percent. And I I think that um just communicating that, like all being on the same page, kids, partner, like family, if you have that support, whatever it is. And I think that like that could even be a fun exercise for your kids too. It's like, all right, this is mom's season for this. Like, what is your season right now? <laughs> right now, my season in our house is Taylor Swift. Right. And what is she? Oh,
0: she's also working on her eyeliner tutorial. She's working on her cat eye. It's the season of mastering the cat eye
1: that's amazing. i it's so funny. Well, your kid is mastering the cat eye. mine is mastering like snuggling with the cat. and that's a definitely a factor of their age difference. Like, I just I appreciate your perspective on parenthood and motherhood. Like I just I don't think enough of us talk about it. We it's maybe easier <laughs> to talk about, like, the successes in our careers, those moments that are successful, or even the challenges in our careers, very few people feel comfortable enough being open and honest about like the challenges in being a parent and how they relate. And of course they relate. Like sometimes you're working more than you're with your family. And, And so like, I think that I hope that women going forward feel more and more and more supported in that journey Mm -hmm. because it's definitely like ebbs and flows. The ages of the kids certainly matter and where you are in your career matters too. And I just, I don't wanna feel like women have to sort of like give up one or the other, but I also have experienced what you described too, which is like, it's never gonna be 50-50. Ever, ever, ever. You know, you were saying you can't have it all. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. And my experience, that sort of equates to like, it's never going to be truly 50 50. You know, like there's never this equal balance. But, you know, sometimes it's 75 25. And then other times it's in the opposite direction, kind of yes. what you described, which is like based on what season you're in. Yes so i think that's a a really helpful way to just conceptualize it i think that like honestly half the battle is like wrapping our minds around it <laughs> just like getting into that headspace of like understanding of acceptance and sort of like this is this is how we're going to approach this and then the rest of it sort of like comes from that it alleviates some of the anxieties around it i think so
0: you can't forget about
1: yourself you just I know it's, it
0: seems easier said than done, but whatever your belief system, faith, whatever it is, if anything, one thing that we all can look at and see, yet you have, this is your body. That's your temple. You know, whether it's sleep, whether it's 20 minutes of stretching, your child is going to get older. Your child will thrive. They will, whether they want to go to trade school or college, whatever it may be, fantastic. You've kept them alive. Awesome. But we have to make sure we take care of our physical and mental health. And I'm so thankful that we're talking about that now. I'm so thankful that something like even postpartum depression is being discussed more. It wasn't when I had kids. Just the importance of having that time to eat well, educate yourself, try as best you can, that takes that alone takes up so much real estate. And when you mentioned 75-25, there's been tons of articles about the mental real estate we take in as moms, as women. The play dates, the doctor's appointments, the this, oh, got to get a Santa hat for school. Gotta, oh, it's it's cartoon day. It's whatever it is. We take that on on top of, oh, I have to finish that 35 page deck for a presentation in two days. And I have to manage a team of 10. So solidarity. I think we've all been there. We're all there. And you're right. I think people don't want to talk about it as much. But nothing will change until we share those stories. Those of us like me who've been through the ringer have learned a lot. And I'm happy to share those experience and kind of motivate folks. I had a couple of mentors when I was coming up that were just as open. And I think that's why I was, I'm open about it because they really as executives and mentors helped me see what was possible, but they were also realistic. It wasn't, you know, bells and tulips, but it's all upside where, you know, we're finally helping each other out and people are educating each other more on what we need.
1: So, We are running low on time, but there is one question that I really want to ask you before we end our time together. So my last question for you is, as someone who's been in the industry for like 25 plus years, Mm -hmm. how do you look forward to the next steps in your career? Like, what does that look like for you? What are the next milestones? that you'd like to reach like how do you conceptualize that for yourself what does that look like for you
0: oh i love this question so because i've seen the birth of different digital technologies marketing platforms and so on it has been amazing for me in my career and i've used it for my own you know businesses helping my husband you know convert his company to a virtual company but i am also an avid believer in community involvement and really volunteering where I live, contributing to where I live. And what's happening now with artificial intelligence, I think is so exciting. I'm not afraid of it. I think it's fascinating to be able to learn how to use it. So as I evolve in terms of my career, I think what makes sense for me eventually is to to use all that technology and marketing and communications that I've done over the years and really start contributing more to where I live More to my community in some way, so that's what I've always been just out of the corner of my eye looking for. Of how can I be a better contributor and citizen to where I live, to my community, my kids, long term, with all of that stuff I've learned from a corporate private perspective over the years. How can I merge the two together, and that really, really excites me. Mm,
1: I love that. That's such a. That's I love that so much. I was like really wanting to ask you this question. I wanted to make sure we had time for it. And I love that philosophy. I like I love I I think that's really beautiful. Um, And you're someone who has recently moved too. So like that community element probably Mm -hmm. looks different. But yeah, community is such an important thing. And just having like making an impact in that and using everything that you've learned from before. And like, how does that morph into being applicable today? That's cool. I love that so much. Okay. So I know that you have. Also your company, Bottles Nation. Mm -hmm. I know you have like, you're of course on social yourself. Mm -hmm. So if our listeners want to reach you, get in touch with you, learn more about you, where can they go and how can they get in touch? For sure. It's really easy. I,
0: because I've been around for so long, I've been able to secure my first name as my domain name. So you could just go to www.blagitsa, my first name dot com. all the info and background is
1: there ways to reach me email the whole nine feel free to go there and check it out amazing i have a feeling many people well thank you so much for coming on today yeah. and just being so open and like i so enjoyed our conversation me too. and Thank you so much. All of you guys listening, thank you guys too. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I hope everyone's having a healthy, happy new year and we will see you next time. Bye guys.